science. Listening to Love and Science here on BCFM. I'm Andrew Glester. I'm delighted to say that in the studio with me is Josh Warren. Hello, Hello Josh. everybody. Hello, uh, Andrew. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks. <laughs> How are you? It's been a while since we've been here together. It has. Yeah, it's been a while since um, since you listeners have had the pleasure of a live show with us. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's been um, it's been good. I've had a nice. Uh, had a nice Christmas. How was your Christmas? I haven't seen each other since Christmas. Uh, I, yeah, I had a slightly disappointing Christmas <laughs> due to family um, bereavement. Mm. But let's not start the show with that. <laughs> did you have a nice Christmas? I, 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 yes, I did. Thank you. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was very thankful just to be able to sit around for a few days and drink in my pants, which was nice. I don't and want to know. <laughs> Nobody wants to know about you that. You asked, much. Andrew. It's, it's I didn't ask whether you were in the pants or not. Were you in Bristol or were you around... around I, was in, I was in Bath, yeah, at my, oh, okay. at, my, at my grandma's house. Yeah, it was nice. Oh, was that's good. nice. Yeah, you lovely. got a big family to celebrate with? Yeah, we, we, all, we all just seem to, to uh, gather over, over a few couple of days after Christmas, and cool. it's, always, it's always nice to have... Uh, the few days after Christmas, just to chill yeah. out with everyone. It's, yeah, it's nice. We're well, yeah. careering headlong towards the end of January now, so we should probably stop talking about it. You have a good New Year as well? Uh, what did I do for New Year? Um, uh, well, I, 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 the, the fact that I can't remember what I did for New Year yeah. probably that's probably good. says that I had quite a good one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Did you did you catch any kind of science stuff over the, over the break that you thought, oh, I wish we could have talked about that on the show? Not anything that immediately comes to mind. Of course... Uh, with my BCFM Love and Science head on, I would have immediately wrote it down in a notebook, but yes. because I'm uh, lazy and unprofessional, that hasn't happened. <laughs> Never let that be said. Never <laughs> let that be said. Well, we, we have quite a few uh, topics as we explore the science news this week to talk about, including cookies being cooked, baked yes. on the International Space Station. Should, should they not be bakeys? Uh, I, well, yes. Do you know what biscuit means? You ever look um, the etymology it, of that? Something word? like cooked twice. Yeah, it is. It's yes. Bisquit, French. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cooked twice. <laughs> yes, there you get everything here on Love and Science. We're going to be talking a bit about that later on. We're going to hear from Chad and Hunter, who's one of the producers and directors of the wonderful BBC television series Seven Worlds, One Planet. Have you seen any of that, Josh? Yes, I have. Yes, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah no, it's amazing stuff. He's going to be talking to us about some encounters he had with polar bears, some of which you might have seen on the television, but some others which didn't make the cut. Uh, that's coming up later in the show. We're going to be looking, talking a bit about Beetlejuice. Uh, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. <laughs> oh, nothing happened. Uh, no, the star in the sky, not the uh, not the eighties film. <laughs> and, uh, we're also going to be uh, looking at. Well, uh, there has been some stuff in the news recently about <clears throat> the climate emergency. Obviously, uh, uh, Sir David Attenborough has been speaking about the climate climate emergency at a citizens' assembly. So we'll have a, a look at that and quite a lot else besides. But first. We're going to hear from an Egyptian who died 3,000 years ago. <laughs> How is this possible, Josh? It's, yes, this is quite a, quite a strange story, really. Yeah, so, uh, listeners, you'll have the pleasure of hearing uh, the voice of Nezia Moon. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but then he's, he's not here to correct me, so that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is the story of um, a mummy uh, from, obviously, uh, Egypt about 3,000 years ago. Uh, Nezia Moon, who lived under the Pharaoh Ramses, uh, the 11th XI in Roman numerals. That's 11, isn't it, XI? 
Yes, yes, yeah, thank you. Right. Yes, yeah, thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. um, this is the beginning of around the 11th century BC, and scientists, rather bizarrely, have um, uh, taken this mummy and scanned its vocal cords in, in a big CT scanner and 3D printed uh, a model of, uh, or a working model, I should say, of his vocal cords and and throat, and then made him make noises through this 3D printed vocal box, which yeah. just seems bizarre. I think I, I think we should hear it. <laughs> I'm going to try and play it. It might go wrong, but let's see if you can do it. This is an Egyptian... What's his name again? Neziamun. Neziamun. Um, his voice recreated. So what? I mean, what, what? Just explain what we're actually hearing there. It, it, it's a, um, it's a three D printed voice box yeah. that they've pushed some air through and made it sound as if. But then it doesn't really sound like any particular word or any particular noise. It's just a strange. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what it reminds me of? Have you ever played Minecraft? I have extensively. Yeah. Yes. So the villages in Minecraft, I, I have them as well. Let's listen to them. Oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> nice, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, it, it, but what strikes me about all of this is why? Yeah, well, quite. Why? Why bother 3D printing an old, crusty old Egyptian's voice box? Well, yeah, I mean, have the scientists given a reason why? It's not it, that I've it, read. It, yeah, it's hard to divine it from the, the the reports that I've read in the press as well. I was looking at something on the on the Guardian about it, and something on the BBC, and that it's sort of because it's interesting, right? Because it's sort of yeah. Is it interesting? Do you find it interesting? It is interesting in that we can all listen to this funny noise and laugh about it, and mm. then and then discuss it on a. On a tin pot radio station yeah. on a Monday, on a Monday afternoon. When, yeah. when who's when, uh, and also on BCFM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, I, I mean, I, I when I listen to it, I think, oh, that's interesting. That's what it's sort of a vowel sound that sounds a bit like Minecraft and a bit like <laughs> a human. So humans sounded quite similar to we do. Uh, 3,000 years ago, they weren't that different. Funny that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That's a, uh, is that the revelation that we're supposed to take from this? I, I don't d- know. I don't know. I mean, uh, 3D printing the, the bones of uh, a mummified Egyptian is um, is interesting in itself. I guess making a sound out of it is quite <laughs> interesting. There's a there's a sort of another angle to it, which um, the, 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 the chap who was, was a priest, you know, and he, mm. he believed that you should... Uh, his part of his belief system was that you should um, be able to speak after death. So he's uh, he's had that wish granted, which is... Ah, maybe that's why then. Yeah. Perhaps that's it. Yeah. His reason uh, in that particular faith was um, because uh, they needed to speak to whoever was judging them after death and say, I was a good person. So hopefully he was a good person. And uh, let's just hear from him one last time. It is a bizarre noise. You're listening to Love and Science on BCFM. I'm Andrew Glester. I'm here with Josh Warren in the studio. And in Birmingham, there is the first citizens' assembly on climate change taking place, which is, uh, well, it's something that Extinction Rebellion have been calling for for a while. Um, 
we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, one of the people who's been speaking at it is Sir David Attenborough, and uh, what the news have picked up on is that Sir David Attenborough says that fixed-term parliaments lead to a lack of climate focus. Um, yeah, so fixed-term parliaments, of course, the fixed-term parliament act brought in by David Cameron, mm-hmm. who also did other things, and um, <clears throat> I can't remember any of them now, but he did, <laughs> one of the things he did was bring in the fixed-term parliament act, which is means that you can't have uh, lots of elections one after the other. No. Oh, yes. that's exactly <laughs> what we've had. <laughs> Anyway, the idea being that you shouldn't be able to just call an election whenever you want and you should be able to, um, and, and you can only have one if two-thirds of Parliament votes um, for it. Mm. Um, David Attenborough is saying that this leads to a lack of climate focus. Any clarity well, it's, on this? It's the, it's the idea that because uh, politicians are working on this scope of five years and then done, they haven't... Uh, got any real reason to look beyond that and because climate science requires us to look beyond five years and and increasingly so it's uh it's questioning whether uh the that fixed part that fixed term parliament act really helps um in terms of climate policy and pushing it and and forcing it up the agenda Hmm. so it's it's sort of I mean, the idea wouldn't be necessarily that you would want somebody to be in Parliament for longer, <laughs> ideally. All right, maybe is that what he's saying? I, I would have thought that the, the one of the ideas, ideally, I would have say with climate science, would be simply take politics out of it. It's simply away from politics, mm. and it is something like a citizens' assembly that deals with it um, to stop it being a party political thing. Because there's, it, it has become something that's that's party political. I mean, well, I say that it's always been party political, but that's nonsense isn't it because it's it's a scientific um scientifically demonstrable thing that the climate is changing Mm. and that we're having an effect in that um so for for politics to get involved in that just seems a bit a bit wonky to me um anyway what do i know (laughs) and um, the the citizens assembly thing is kind of it's an interesting thing i I was looking at the what it's made up of um there's 110 members of the assembly and they're all um citizens and but they're not they they come from all walks of life and they've they've been positioned they've been handpicked to be uh average and different and diverse and uh, representative of um, the country analytics of, uh, as a whole, yeah, uh, which I suppose is a good thing when you when it, it is. It is, but then when it comes to something like climate science, right, and and what we do about climate change, do you want people's opinion on it who don't accept the science? I, yeah, you, you, you're right because the the idea of uh, climate denialism and and it shouldn't be given a voice really should it no um but that represents a portion of the of the population so you've got questions there and uh, but i know who knows i haven't yeah. I'm, I'm got all the answers andrew but Have you not? no i haven't oh <laughs> i was hoping you would that's why i brought you in uh, <laughs> no it's uh, it's an interesting thing um i'd be interested to see how it goes the citizens assembly one thing i do know of citizens assemblies for all sorts of things is that the the only way that they have an effect is if 
the people in power have buy-in to them. If the people in power believe in what the citizen um, assemblies are suggesting needs to happen. So what we need is a government who believes in action for making our world a better place in terms of the climate and what we're doing for it. Whether we've got one or not, well... I'll leave you to decide that. Um, the other thing, I, what I like to do to ignore these things, is to look up into space. And one thing I noticed recently is that Betelgeuse, or Betelgeuse, I don't know how you pronounce it. Nor do I, actually. Let's say Betelgeuse. Yes. It's more fun. Because um, I, I, I like to look at the constellation of Orion at this time of year. It's a lovely constellation, some wonderful things in it, like the Orion Nebula, a stellar nursery in the Orion sword. Mm-hmm. I've always thought, actually, of Betelgeuse as... as Orion's head, but apparently technically it's his shoulder. I think it's the shoulder, yes. Yeah. I'm not sure which one, it's left a or right. Big red star mm. up at the top of, um, well, as I say, I always think of the, the head, but recently it's dimmed. Yeah, uh, I, I will admit I don't know an awful lot about this story, but uh, Andrew has just um, uh, shown me this this morning. But um, yeah, you're right. I, it, these stars go through phases of dimming and brightening, and uh, we know that Betelgeuse, due to its size and due to its uh, temperature and the and its composition that we can find out about it, we know that at some point it's going to supernova, right? It's going to use up its uh, hydrogen fuel um, and supernova, as 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 many stars do. But, By which um, you mean explode into space? I right? do, I do. Yeah, a, a very very vast explosion. Yes, cool. all good, exciting stuff. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, this is this is a story that we, we, we were expecting it to dim a little bit and it goes through phases of being slightly dimmer and slightly brighter and so on. But we were expecting it to brighten back up again and it hasn't. It seems yeah. to be continuing to get dimmer unexpectedly. Yeah. And, and, and much dimmer than it has done recent, uh, yes. in recent recorded memory. Mm. And, uh, that, and that could mean several things. That, 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 that could mean that it's uh, imminently going to undergo supernova which is very exciting listeners if you're if, if you're looking up at pizza juice yeah yeah but I, and it could i mean if it does go supernova it could be visible in the day sky right it could be is that uh, i i suppose so i'm not yeah. sure yeah if I it's bright it's, enough i guess so i believe that the super that if it goes supernova then it could be as um as large as the moon in our sky oh yeah and but then but then we wouldn't live long enough to see that effect would we not I'd well if it had no because if it has gone supernova then it went supernova in the middle ages and we're just seeing the light from it now yes, that came yes. from the supernova so we mm. we would see that if it did happen what we're going to find um uh, well i don't know it's it's going to go supernova in the next hundred thousand years right and this could mean that it goes supernova tonight <laughs> who knows <laughs> or tomorrow or the day after all in 100,000 years. Okay, well, yeah, so we've, we've got a window of 100,000 years in order to, to bank on us being able to see it. So yeah. what do you reckon our chances are, Andrew? I don't know, but what I do know <laughs> is that if you go and look at uh, so, uh, Orion tonight, and if you've looked at it in recent months, then you might notice that Betelgeuse, its shoulder or head, is dimmer than it has been. And that's always an interesting thing to look at yes, anyway. Yeah. It's always been a lovely bright red star. 
and it's still a lovely bright star, but just not quite as bright. And uh, you're listening to Love and Science here on BCFM, where we and you are all made of star stuff. And, uh, well, we're going to hear from Chad and Hunter, uh, one of the producers and directors of, uh, well, things like Frozen Planet, Planet Earth 2, and most recently... Seven Worlds, One Planet on the BBC, because Chadden joined me in my shed the other day for an episode of The Cosmic Shed, which you may know is my podcast. Very shameless plug. Yes, absolutely. But it's okay, because I'm going to treat you to some minutes of Chadden talking right here on BCFM shortly. Um, but have you, so you've been watching Seven Worlds, One Planet. I have. It's been awesome. Yeah. Isn't it just? Isn't I know. It? It's really, a, really the, the, what, the Viper sequence did you see the viper sequence with the yeah the, i believe i did yeah the birds um the way that vipers trick birds is just just absolutely phenomenal and um yeah it was wonderful to talk to to chadden um you'll hear as we uh, listen to chadden talk to us about some encounters he had with polar bears in um canada i believe it was in the north america episode um that uh, you'll hear another voice which is emma brisdian who was in the shed the cosmic shed with me as we talked to chad and hunter of the bbc yeah in the north america episode of seven worlds one planet we were trying to film polar bears hunting belugas and it was a a really unusual story we didn't actually believe it when we heard people talk about it but in midsummer, up in Hudson Bay, there's this one location in a river mouth where certain polar bears have learnt to go and stand on boulders, and as the tide comes in and fills up around them, if they've picked just the right rock, and then they, they wait for beluga whales to come in, and if these beluga whales swim right beside the rock, the bear has a chance to leap on its back, give it a big bear hug, try and bite the back of its head, uh, and try and make a kill... And it's it's phenomenal behaviour because the a beluga whale is at least two or three times the size of a polar bear. They're one big slab of muscle. That is what what a whale is, and they're in their natural element in the water. And they're slimy and slippery. And and to think that a bear can actually get its its uh, legs, arms, paws around one and kill it is is amazing. And so we took a gamble to go out and see if we could find it, but because this tidal range is so dangerous, it's like 16 kilometres of mudflats, and Hudson Bay, because it's shallow, gets really big storms really quick. It's treacherous for small boating, because you, you can hit rocks all over the place, and you can get stranded, and there's no lifeguard, there's no coast guard, there's no help whatsoever if you're out there, and you get in trouble. We had a tiny little metal boat, and so we, we knew there was quite treacherous boating, and we spent a lot of time trying to find the bears, trying to spit, spot them on the rocks, trying to get our cameras steady to film them from a distance. And sometimes we're paying so much attention to to the bears that we d we didn't notice that we'd um, either run aground or or come off our mooring. And this in particular instance, if you haven't seen the making of, a young polar bear was playing with our anchor and started pulling it up off the bottom of of the ocean. And we thought it was kind of cute at first, watching this bear pull, play with the anchor forgetting that we were then adrift and then we heard this massive bang and we realized that our metal boat had jammed on a rock and the tide was rushing out i think so that the so the entire boat was stuck completely high on top of this rock and we knew the boat would tip over all the equipment tip over the water is icy there's no help there at all and there's polar bears circling the water anyway <laughs> so some of our heroic cameramen stripped off and jumped in the water to try and 
manoeuvre this boat off the rock with the um, these, these curious polar bears circling the boat. Do they strip off because... Um, because they they're ripped. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they made good telly, right? Exactly, yeah. Sell this know, series somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as a director, I was like, right, you, no, no, you, you leave your kit on. <laughs> but you, but yeah. is it because then they've got dry clothes? To... Well, exactly, you've got, you've got something dry to put on. Yeah. And that, they, the cameraman, Sean, who, who gets, his, gets his gear off, uh, he maintains that he absolutely hates getting cold and he hates icy water uh, to this day, but I... I don't think he mind it. He might get some extra attention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he looks all right. Oh, my yeah. heart was racing watching that, but I've never. The six I mean, pack. I, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say I, I desperately wanted to be in that boat with you because of the polar bears, not yes, because of the men yes, yeah. taking their kids off. Yeah. But that must have been so exhilarating. A little part yeah. of fear, of course, but that must have been incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be that close to polar bears because yeah. they were coming right up to the edge of the boat and the boat's tiny, and you could hear them breathing, hear their nostrils. Oh. There was one time where we, we were ashore having a break, lunch or something on these mud flats, and we, we, we knew there's no bears around because we looked with binoculars. And I went to have a pee, and I was off um, you know, near some bushes 100 metres from the, from the crew, and we've got a guard with a gun. But, you know, you've got shotguns and bear poppers, and, because polar bears are they're not afraid of anything, and they're really curious about people uh, and curious about food, so they are, they are a quite dangerous animal. They're one, of the, they're one of the very few animals that will actively hunt and stalk humans. And so when I went off to, to have a pee, the crew, of course, turned their back because, you know, they give me some privacy and there's no privacy out there. Yeah. And I start, start peeing, looking at the distant horizon, and then this, this white object starts emerging from the bushes. <laughs> and it's a massive head. as a massive male polar bear, and he just starts lifting his head. And I think, oh, the, the size of it is, is immense. And he's looking at me, and I've kind of got stage fright. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm thinking, okay, well, don't don't start making human noises because I know how curious they are about humans. So I start trying to whistle, thinking, oh, well, I got to get their attention. So I start <laughs> trying to whistle, and I, my mouth is so dry, I can't make a whistle. And so I still got all my bits out, and I'm like trying to whistle, <laughs> and because I'm looking over my shoulder, and my team won't look at me. They're a hundred meters away, and it's a windy day, so they can't hear anything. They're not looking because they give me privacy. And I turn back and think, and think, okay, don't run. I knew that the golden rule was, whatever you do, don't run, because only prey runs. Right. So I, you know, I knew I couldn't run back to them 100 metres away. And and then as I'm kind of, I'm still trying to whistle, and then I'm, I'm trying to pull my trousers up, and then right beside him, another white, massive white <gasps> head starts lifting up. And it was another male polar bear, a huge adult male, that lifted his head up. And it's like looking at, I don't know, two two white diggers in front of you, excavators or something, they're so immense. Oh, wow. And they both stared at me with these eyes of kind of curiosity. And I thought, okay, I'll never make it back. I either start yelling and the bears will come at me. And I thought if I run directly at my crew, the guy with the rifle, if he's going to try and fire at the bears, he'll only have to fire over my head. Fire you. And I thought, well, if I run sideways, he could fire at the bears. But my God, if he doesn't hit them, then I've just run out into the wilderness to get eaten. Uh, and so all these thoughts went through my head as I kind of tried to, you know, do my trousers up. <laughs> and I still couldn't get there because of my crew's attention. And they, they, they stood, these two bears stood up facing me and I thought, okay, th th this is it. If, they, if they're going to get me, I've got no hope at all. And they just took one look at me and thought, you know what? We know how to fish whales. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're true. bigger than you. And um, so they just turned around and, and walked off over the mudflats. Um, yeah. So it's an oh, exhilarating wow. encounter. To be to be on foot with wild polar bears yeah. is 
quite thrilling. And basically marking your territory. <laughs> well, exactly. There you go. Maybe that was it. Maybe Hello. Were, yeah. yeah. Are you quite lucky to be doing to be that close to polar bears that weren't hungry? Exactly. This this is a, a, a weird summer story for polar bears because summer is normally a time of starvation yeah. for bears. They lose about a third of their body weight. But this one small population have learnt how to hunt beluga whales from these rocks. And so they're fat and sleek and well-fed. Nowhere else in, in the, on the planet have I seen polar bears in summer that look as healthy and well-fed as, as this lot. There's only one, one tiny group that have learnt it. So, yeah, I happen to be hanging out with the right group of polar bears <laughs> to survive. They were all feeding on the same whale. Is that... Because uh, it, it, does that it's, happen? It's re- I'm glad you spotted that. I'm glad you spotted that because I really I wanted to talk about that in the script. And when we write these scripts for David, it's really tricky to work out how much information to put in and how much to leave out because the film is so dense with music and sound effects and visuals that it often feels like there's too many words on top. And so there's so many little bits of science that you want to get in there, so many little bits of detail that you're desperate that you could add. Mm-hmm. And one of them was this amazing fact that these polar bears share. They do not mm. scrap. I mean, grizzly bears would, would be tearing each other's shoulders off over a kill. But what was happening is no matter which bear made the kill, all of them seemed to tolerate mums coming in, cubs coming in, other males coming in. And I think it does happen in other places when people happen upon multiple polar bears eating, like a whale carcass washes up or something. But it's very rare to see it so it's rare that you are in the right place at the right time to see polar bears sharing a meal but it seems to be a strange thing about polar bear behavior is that they're very tolerant and so we've got these amazing images after this 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 big polar bear kills this beluga whale where we pull out and we see all these other bears feeding at the same time so i'm glad it struck a chord with you because it's fascinating behavior and yet at that moment in the film i've just i've just left David with no words at all just to there's too much it just felt like too so much information the script? yeah oh yeah yeah oh, all the producers right the yeah, script for David yeah. it's a kind of a badge of honor to see who has the least amount of red pen from David yeah, right. oh that's very cool because of course David has a pass at it and then he'll he'll change lines to suit his talking style uh and generally you know you're hoping that he'll make as few corrections as possible yeah. The wonderful Chad and Hunter talking to me and Emma Bristian there in the Cosmic Shed. If you would like to hear the rest of that interview, and why wouldn't you, you can go to thecosmicshed.com after you've listened to Love and Science here on BCFM. Einstein's always right. (laughs) Let's face it. But, ooh, controversial. There's a, a new theory which might just provide one of the answers to... The impossible dark energy riddle. I'm so pleased we've got Josh well, in, the, in the studio. Josh, go. Well, uh, oh, you've really set me up there, Andrew. Thank you. <laughs> Brace yourself, everyone. Um, uh, not that I'm a, uh, an expert on this subject by any stretch of the imagination, but um, we are aware of the theory of the Big Bang, and it suggests that uh, the uh, universe is, as a result, expanding from one point. Um, and what we've observed is that the that expansion of the universe is uh, actually accelerating. So it's we're, it's getting quicker. Whereas what we would expect to happen under uh, normal um, mechanical physics is that because of gravity mm. that uh, pulls everything back together again, it that expansion ought to be slowing down. Okay, so. 
There's the Big Bang. Yes. I always like to think of the example of it being like a cake, so with raisins in it. And yes. The, the yeah. raisins are the galaxy. So as the the universe expands, the galaxies sort of expand away from each other. In yes. A way. Yes, because the space in between the galaxies is is yeah increasing. Yeah. Um, but again, because of how we understand gravity at this point, we would expect that uh, those galaxies pull themselves together again and that that expansion slows down. Mm. But what we're actually seeing is that 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 expansion is speeding up. Now, we don't really know why that is. This is where we come to something called dark energy and dark matter, which is this uh, mystery uh, substance or matter or whatever that no one really knows what Mm. what it is, no one really knows the nature of it, no one really knows how to explain it. Which yeah. is which is it's a funny <laughs> thing, isn't it? Because you you hear about it, dark energy and dark matter, and you think, oh, it's it's actually a thing because it's got yeah. a name. You think it's something that they're talking about, but they're they're talking about the effect of something that we don't know. Yeah, it, it, it in a sense that um, the the mathematical models predict that there's some extra energy somewhere in the universe that we're not that we don't understand quite yet. You know, in order to expand the universe at an accelerating rate, that takes energy, and that energy has to come from somewhere. Where is that in it? Where is that energy coming from? Well, let's just call it something. Call it dark, dark energy. Okay, Bosch. Yeah. Right there, we go. That's Absolutely. it. That's that is the limit of what we know about dark energy, listeners. It's it's, it's, it's there's not that is it. There's, I can't tell you any more than that. Yeah. But um, this uh, story that we've we've picked up today um, hopes to start to explain a little bit about the nature of it and a little bit about um, how we might explain gravity and the role that that plays in, okay. in the expansion of the universe. So um, the theory is that, it, Andrew, if you were to imagine that you and I were sat on some, uh, sat on two skateboards opposite okay. each other. Sounds good. Right, and, yeah. I, and I throw a basketball to you. Okay. Okay. Ooh. I feel like I'm going to start <laughs> going that way. Yeah, exactly. That that exchange of matter from one place to another is going to cause us to to force outwards. Okay, right? you're going to go backwards. I'm um... going to go backwards. You're going to go. You're going to move further away from me as well. Yeah. Right. Um, forces such as those require an exchange of of substance, or an exchange of matter, or an exchange of energy um, from one place to another. Um, it's called an exchange particle, right? Okay. Um, with gravity, we don't know what is being passed from one point to the other. We theorise that it might be something called a graviton, this mystery uh, particle that, that, that we only really have guessed might be there, but we don't really know what's causing the force of gravity to pull things together, whether it's something uh, physical being moved across from one point to another, we don't know. Um, but the theory that uh, a miss... Claudia Duram uh, has theorised is that uh, the particle exchanged between two masses uh, causing gravity um, has a mass, has some substance, has weight to it, which is something that Einstein's theory of relativity didn't um, didn't call for, didn't expect, didn't okay. w- wasn't in the in the mass at the moment. Okay. Um, so this is Professor Claudia Duram of Imperial College London. That's her, yes, yes, yeah. that's the one. And um, Professor Duram is proposing something which which would have to modify Einstein's uh, theory of general relativity. Yes, yes, which, that's the rub. Or, 
always in the past when that's been suggested. <laughs> it turns out Einstein was right in the first place. Do you have reason to think this might be different? Well, as with all new theories, it always gets rigorously run through lots of mathematical models to see if it predicts what we've observed so far in the universe. And as of yet, this hasn't been uh, squashed yet. This theory okay. hasn't been disproven yet. But that doesn't mean it's true. That, that, no. You could say that about any... You could say that about, about any theory yeah. in science. Well, so I, my understanding of it was that there's 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 gravitons, mm -hmm. which are particles that cause gravity to happen. Theoretical particles, theoretically, yes, that cause gravity to happen or play a role in gravity happening. And um, in Einstein's version, they don't have mass. They don't have mass. And what Professor Claudia de Rama is suggesting is that these theoretical ones, <laughs> particles <laughs> might have mass and that would be a solution to dark energy. It would mean that because they, they had mass, it would be effectively pulling back the universe as it was expanding. Yeah, quite how then the next step of it relating to dark energy, I, I, I couldn't tell you. Don't okay. But <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you what. Okay, there we go. I have, I have an email from oh, Professor Claudio de Ram saying, yes, I would be delighted to talk to you. So I'm going to interview and find out, and we'll probably have that on a future episode oh, awesome. of Love and Science. That's what we're talking at the moment, Love and Science, here on BCFM 93.2 FM.